work emails produce positive emotions as well as negative emotions. Uh, but the uh, the problem is is that negative emotions are generally much stronger. In particular, anger is an emotion that once it gets triggered has pretty far reaching impacts on the brain and the way the brain processes other information. Um, and so those those ne- negative emotions outweigh the positive things we have. Welcome to another episode of the Work Life Hub podcast. Each week we bring you an inspiring guest to help you discover the new world of work and learn how your organization can reach its full potential. Thank you for tuning in and spending some time with us today. To find out more about the Work Life Hub, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to the listeners of the Work Life Hub podcast. This is your host, Agnes Uheretsky, and today it is my great pleasure to welcome another guest from the U.S., this time Bill Becker, who is Associate Professor at the Department of Management, Virginia Tech, at the Pamplin College of Business. Hi, Bill. Hello. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast, and maybe before we go into the conversation, let me quickly introduce you, Bill. So, uh, Bill Becker, is uh, his research focus and his teaching focus is about organizational behavior, human resource management, leadership, and very interestingly, emotions, and we'll talk about this a bit later. And the way, the reason why I reached out to Bill and invited him for this podcast is because I saw this really interesting paper that caught my eye. It was published in April 2018, and it was called Killing Me Softly, Electronic Communications Monitoring and Employee and Spouse Well-Being. So Bill has published a number of very interesting articles about the link between email and electronic communications and emotions, well-being, burnout, but also spillover between work and non-work domains, which is, of course, especially interesting for us here at the Work Life Hub. So maybe now over to you, Bill. Would you mind telling listeners a little bit about yourself, about your career, and really what drives you, what gets you up in the morning? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually came to academics a bit late and spent the early part of my career in the uh, United States Navy serving on nuclear submarines and um, then spent some time working in nuclear power plants. Interestingly enough, sort of that was the opposite of lots of electronic communications since when on a submarine you don't get more than uh, one short radio message every three weeks or so. So uh, (laughs) this this maybe what sparked my interest in now this sort of uh, message overload that we're subject to now. But anyway, I got my PhD at the University of Arizona and I got very interested actually in neuroscience, which led me to my interest in emotions. And so again, early on, I was trying to connect neuroscience and emotions to this broader view of organizational behavior and human resources. Um, Along the lines, though, uh, I got interested even more so in this idea of electronic communications and particularly work email when uh, my wife actually got a new boss when I started my first academic job and we moved to Texas who had, had this just amazing expectations for people to respond and read their emails at all hours of the day, night, weekend, vacation, uh, even to the point of expecting someone to be up at 5 a.m. and respond 
to an email at 5 a.m. within 15 or 20 minutes. Um, and I saw the effect that it had on her. And so I started wanting to look into that, which led to this uh, kind of continued investigation into work email and electronic communications, which has now been going on for almost six years. And so again, early on, I tried to look at just the emotions that those emails produced in people and the effects that they had. And more recently, um, we got sort of interest in this idea of monitoring and expectations to monitor. Uh, again, the early work focused very much, uh, this is, as you mentioned, it was is a pretty new area of research. And a lot of the early research was looking more at the time that people were spending. Uh, and some of the findings that, that we were seeing in our earlier work on this suggested that it really wasn't the time so much as the expectations to monitor and the actual monitoring behavior, which has led to our kind of current uh, couple of studies, uh, which you mentioned. So, wow, this is so fascinating. Um, and I just would even have tons of questions for you about nuclear submarines <laughs> as a work <laughs> environment. But we have to skip this because of yes, of course. time is, of course, of the essence here. But but very interesting. And, and I just maybe just, you know, I think that it's so interesting that you are you, you say you are new to academia. You came in late, but you had another career before that. And we find with quite a few of our podcast guests that those who had a major shift in their career and came to either, you know, writing books or academia or, or HR later, that they had a very new, but also very modern and progressive way of looking at the world of work. So I think this is really brilliant. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> coming now maybe to my first question. So, because you mentioned that a little bit that before even research was focused on how much time people spent on email instead of what it triggered. Um, and it, it's quite a new phenomenon. There's not a lot of research on it. Um, but what we know is that email and digital communications have really changed the way we work. But I think still many of us don't even know the extent to which it has changed the way we work. I mean, I'm sure listeners can relate, but sometimes I feel all day, all I'm doing is answering emails. And you kind of wonder, does this consider, you know, is this can be this considered as work or not work? So maybe in a nutshell, how has email and digital communications, you know, per permeated our world of work? And what are these big changes that maybe we're not even aware of? Right. I think that's sort of the insidious thing about work electronic communications and work email is that these revolutions really happened in our social lives first. And we kind of became used to uh, getting quick messages from people uh, and and being connected to people and sharing things about our lives with people um, through Facebook and Instagram and these platforms and then as that kind of morphed into work, I think what happened is we sort of lost those boundaries between work and non-work. And it's hard to tell where our work lives end and our non-work lives start sometimes. Uh, and there are certainly some benefits to this that we can be more flexible, we can have uh, flexible work arrangements, we can be more responsive, um, we can put work off, we can do it at, at times that work best for us. Um, but there's also these drawbacks where 
we don't ever shift out of our work mindset or we don't have definitive work mindsets and non-work mindsets, which I think a lot of the early research shows that it's really important to, to turn off your work self sometimes and really engage in your personal relationships and your non-work activities. And that that's really important to sort of recuperate and recharge your batteries and to have uh, distinct boundaries so that if things aren't going well at work, you still have lots of good things happening in your personal lives. And these things are really important for getting through tough times or for uh, having that balance in our lives. And I think now work always has a lot of pressure and it's, uh, our work selves aren't always the best selves that we put forward. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of competi- competition at work and pressures at work. And we just aren't able to escape from those and uh, re-engage with our the people that are important to us and the activities that are important to us that don't involve work. And so, again, it's, I think it's this kind of entrainment of work with our social activities and, and those kind of getting too intertwined. And those really have a downside. And plus what your research also shows it's, is that it's not only just time eating into the time, but it's also triggering quite strong emotions. And we all know, right, that if you you get upset by something, it, it's not so easy to shake it off. And, and you might also carry that bad mood or frustration or stress into your your weekend or into your, your family time and space. So how did this come about that you started? Um, I mean, I understood your, uh, what you explained about uh, your personal experience, but then taking that really into organizational behavior and linking emotions with um, digital communication. So how did that happen? And, and so did you start then to interview people or, or how did this um, research unfold? I would say that some of it came out of my interest in neuroscience where I, you know you start to find out how little we know about the brain and we we tend to think of uh, as all motions of being equal or the you know that these things don't really affect us long term as you mentioned but again that the the research in, in emotion shows that you know small emotional episodes can can have long impacts that resonate for a long time after the event and that and that even change our thought patterns over time and so one of the things that I was interested in our early study showed was that emails triggered emotions in people and that we read things in that might not be intended Um, interestingly enough though we, we found that work emails produced positive emotions as well as negative emotions uh, but the the problem is is that negative emotions are generally much stronger. In particular, anger is an emotion that once it gets triggered has pretty far-reaching impacts on the brain and the way the brain processes other information. Um, and so those those n- negative emotions outweigh the positive things we have. And, and particularly anger can sort of, like you mentioned, ruin your whole day. It can uh, create problems in your ability to interact with people positively later in the day. Um, whereas those positive emotions we get once in a while tend to go away pretty quickly and, and don't have <laughs> the same kind of effects. And so that was one of our original findings, which really suggested the power of emotions and, and the long-term effects 
and again, those those kind of implicit effects that they have on us throughout the day, um, which again led us to kind of ex- look at this mon- monitoring behavior and expectations. And so we included emotions in there and showed that just the the monitoring of email creates a lot of anxiety. And again, anxiety is one of those emotions that has pretty far-reaching effects in the brain and really set us up uh, to not have real positive interactions and positive experiences because we have this background anxiety kind of always present. So if I understood correctly, basically it was um, not even reading emails, but for somebody to be maybe at, uh, at home on the weekend and then thinking about what if, if, if they would get an email from their colleague or their boss and whether they then are expected to answer. So it's, it's, it's not even just reading the emails itself, but it's an, almost an anticipation of, of, okay, will I get an email and then I have to... So it's, it's a kind of this state of alertness, right? Which is, which is also, we know, really not good for you. Exactly. Um, and again, we found that there was some anticipation... But the interesting thing is, as we kind of discussed before, is because work email and personal email and electronic communications are so intertwined now, and often people don't even have separate work and personal phones. So every time you check your Facebook or your Instagram, you're going to also see, oh, is there a work email? And even if you just look at your inbox to see if you have it, your mind will actually shift over to your work mindset for that brief second, which kind of resets all of the recuperation that you may have had at that point and shifts you back into work mode and brings back all the stress and anxieties of work. And again, it's very hard to then shift back. It may take, you know, 20 minutes to, to kind of shift back. But by that time, you've probably already looked at your phone again (laughs) and you kind of get in this continual cycle of triggering back to to work, like you said, even if you don't get a work email or even if the work email you see doesn't require any action, uh, there, you still get caught in that, that mindset loop. Um, and we also thought that, you know, it, it also takes away from your relationships or your ability to engage and be mindful in your personal relationships. Um, and again, I mean, we, we see this, that our personal phone communications do the same thing, but it sends a very troubling message to your relationship partners when you're looking at your phone instead of listening to something they're trying to tell you. Um, and so that's why we got very interested in also investigating the, the spillover effects on people's spouses and significant others. And what are your, your findings there? I think um, everybody can kind of relate to this, and I think uh, everybody feels kind of guilty because we know that we shouldn't have a phone at the dinner table or you know Mm -hmm. i see now (laughs) before it was reading magazines and now parents are now on their phones at the playground um you know on the on you know while commuting so we see that it's quite rare now to see anybody just standing with their hands in their pockets um but but what are some of the the these impacts that you have found except i guess what some of the, you know, what we would imagine is just fighting, but, but what, <laughs> in your, what did you find were really these impacts of, of, of this overspill? 
Yeah, interesting enough, we found all of these things. We found that when there was a lot of expectations for an employee to monitor their electronic communications, their spouse reported being anxious about or feeling anxiety about their their spouse's use of work email in the home or uh, in their personal lives. And then that, that anxiety led to uh, health issues. It led to poor sleep. And uh, what we found was really troubling is that the spouse also reported being less satisfied with the relationship. But interestingly enough, the employees themselves actually didn't report lower relationship satisfaction, um, which we, we think in a way can, is, has its own problems in that the, the, spouse, or the employee themselves is actually underestimating the impact it's having on their spouse and their relationship with their spouse. And so they don't think there's a problem, but their spouse thinks it's a very big problem. And, and we know how those, those issues tend to go in relationships. <laughs> um, it's okay if both people realize there's a problem, we might actually be able to solve it. But if one problem, one person doesn't see it as a problem, uh, that's really hard to, to unpack and, and really deal with those kinds of relationship problems. Mm. And so we have seen, you know, some of the attempts at, um, managing this, um, there's famously Volkswagen in Germany that have, uh, that are switching off their email server. I think it was 6 PM for employees and 8 PM for managers. Then we have the law in France about the right to disconnect, which, which means, you know, that employees have the right to disconnect from digital communication during the weekend and not answer emails. What is your take or your opinion about these um, kind of one-size-fits-all um, solutions to this? Um, yeah, I think they're short-sighted and will never work. Um, so certainly I think as individuals and employees, there are things that we can do and we can be more mindful of when we're looking at emails and we can be very open with our supervisors about what we think is appropriate or, you know, and be very, and get clarification on these things. But again, I think overall, these are not going to solve this bigger problem that the way for these bigger problems to get solved is really going to fall on frontline leaders and strong leaders to recognize that this is a problem and that it's going to hurt their employees in the long term. And if they want really productive, creative, well-balanced, happy employees, uh, they need to care about this issue and they need to actually um, be very proactive in how they talk to their employees and establish uh, boundaries for their employees. Because again, these other approaches put the onus back on the individual. Uh, and the individual is obviously in a low power position. They are, they're you know, dependent on their organization and their leader for a job, for promotions, for raises. And, and so it, it's much like the problem with vacation. Uh, at, at least in America, this is a big problem. Most employees don't actually use all their vacation. And there's laws that, you know, people have to get a certain amount of vacation. But again, it, what there's this sort of competition to look good in the workplace. And so if, some employees don't take their vacation, just like if some employees respond to emails at all hours of the night, uh, supervisors have this tendency to look at that employee as a better employee, a more motivated employee, and, and 
by comparison, the, the person who takes all their vacation or the person who disconnects from their work communications for, you know, significant portions of time at, in the evenings suddenly looks like a less motivated employee. And, and so, you know, you know who's going to get the promotion, who's going to get the um, the raises in that situation. And so it creates this pressure to, you know, do what your other coworkers are doing. And until leaders actually recognize and set clear limits on when it's okay to respond and when it's not okay to respond, uh, things aren't going to change. And so, uh, you know, I think for this to really be resolved, frontline leaders have to actually recognize that an employee responding or to an email at uh, midnight is a bad thing. And they need to pull that employee aside and say, hey, I don't want this. Uh, and that they need to, you know, by way of comparison, reward people who disconnect and who, um, again, engage in their personal lives and have well-balanced lives and not punish them. Um, even I think, you know, a lot of times it's not an explicit punishment, but it's that comparison and, and only leaders can, can really address that kind of problem. Now, this is really interesting because I just um, uh, saw not so long ago from the UK National, uh, the Office of National Statistics, that um, sickness absence has been going down in the past years in the UK. And it doesn't mean that people are not getting the flu or not getting sick. It means that people go to work even if they're ill. So what you just explained made me really realize that with email and digital communication, we're really looking at almost a, a composite problem because on the one hand, we have these really addictive devices that we're, you know, touching and holding and <laughs> opening uh, and interacting with all the time anyways, maybe not necessarily just for work emails, but other things as well. And then we have this other issue, which is what you mentioned just now about, you know, not taking vacation and, and this whole idea of going to work even if you're ill and presenteeism, but so, so this answering emails or engaging with work emails, work communication is, is almost like a digital presenteeism, right? Even if you're, uh, if it's your weekend or your vacation. Yeah. And you're not actually doing any quality work. You're just basically trying to send a message that I'm a good employee. <laughs> and, and in fact, you, you know, I think you mentioned this over the long term. you're actually doing probably poorer work. And especially in an era where much of our work is about ideas and creativity, um, lots of studies have shown that the key to, to creativity is having big chunks of time where you're just kind of letting your brain wander and you're actually just really engaged and just generally fun stuff and you're not thinking about work. And, and again, as you mentioned, these devices kind of keep us from doing that very behavior that is so important uh, for creativity and in, in generating new ideas and really being uh, producing our best possible work. Yeah, and what you're referring to is, is, is all this work about, you know, deep work and some of these, um, uh, you know, thought leaders or management gurus, they, they say that they, you know, they don't even check email just once a day. Um, but I really wonder how um, feasible this is in, in a in a work environment, you know, when 
you have colleagues around you and, and there's on the one hand, I guess the fear of missing out, you know, what if I miss that email where some of the colleagues are launching the idea of going for a burger at lunch? Uh, or that the masseuse is coming or or something my boss wants and I want to show as you said I want to be a, a good employee so in a in an organizational context um, in an office um, how, how can this really work I, is there such a thing as the zero inbox should people stop emailing I've seen also some organizations where they said you're not allowed to email people who you work with in the same building you have to go and talk to them so <laughs> How, how do you see this? How can we fight this? Or is, is this, uh, are we going to figure out how we need to interact with all of this? Yeah, I think it's, like you said, kind of uncharted territory. And maybe we have to find ways to not lose touch with our humanity, which is built on face-to-face -face interactions and deep thought and unwinding from work and spending time Uh, enjoying life and having fun and that these activities are really important for our long-term uh, mental health and our long-term professional health and our creativity and our relationships at work and away from work um, and that these short micro interactions through electronic media probably have negative uh, impacts on those kinds of things that are, which, which are so important to human creativity and human uh, happiness. So um, before we go to the last question, uh, may I ask you, Bill, to share with listeners where they can find your research and, and learn more about your work? Sure. I think uh, the couple of places, certainly they can go to the Virginia Tech uh, website and find me with the Department of Management, and there's some links there. Also, my research gate profile has links to almost all of my work or studies I've been working on. So both of those are great places to find out more or contact me if you have questions. And actually, before we go to the last question, there's something I wanted to ask you. Are you working on uh, another follow-up research, or in your view, what what is it that we still need to study and, and understand better? Yeah, we've been toying with the idea of actually trying to do some of these uh, corrective actions. Like, what can we do with people to help them cope with this? And so... That's kind of been the next study that we've been to, uh, to kind of considering is is how to have some interventions to help individuals cope with things these things more. Um, I've also been talking to Mar Thomas, who works actually more with industri industry leaders and things, and she brought up an interesting point, which kind of touches on something else he said, is that when she talks to senior leaders at companies, Um, they say that there's really no expectations to, for people to monitor emails and that they don't need a policy. Uh, but when, when she sees their behaviors, they're always on their phones. They're always sending, checking emails. And so when she talks to people further down the organization, you see this kind of ratcheting up so that the, the mid-level managers think that there's pretty high expectations to check their email and be responsive. And when you get down to the frontline leaders, they basically say, We're expected to be on 24-7, respond all the time. And so there is this kind of cascading effect of that behaviors matter a lot and that modeling the behaviors for leaders is also just as important as policies. Absolutely. And it's usually C-suite level, um, you know, declarations of 
company values of we're a healthy organization, we're a creative organization, we're a family-friendly organization. But then other kinds of pressures of from the finance department or from sales, as you say, uh, trickle down to the line managers and then they have almost no choice but to to be more controlling and then that creates this fear-based environment. So there's also this disconnect between these layers we see in many other d- domains as well. Absolutely. And I wonder, do you think that there's going to be ever some kind of a control group uh, type of research where, you know, one team uh, can see we switch off their emails or and then the other one just continues as business as usual because you know as uh, somebody who is advocating for all of this it's so hard to find you know the real hard evidence because we know that you know this and this and this these different parts of it are bad for you but what we still struggle with in showing is the business case you know showing that it does have an impact on the bottom line, on on the financial result. And do you think that there's ever going to be some kind of a larger scale um, comparison group or control group type of research? I would hope so. I, I, you know, I think as there becomes more publicity about these things, hopefully some large organization will will want to find out more. And that's, I think, what it, like, as you suggest, would, would be a really important development if if an organization was willing to provide some different uh, actual natural experiments uh, to see what I think, or to at least what I think will be very clear uh, positive results of getting people to turn off and disconnect and re-engage uh, in their more human activities. Well, let's hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so before, uh, now we go into the last question, which is uh, always the same here. If I could ask you, Bill, to give one advice to a senior leader or senior manager about, you know, based on your research findings, on your insight, what what would you really advise? Yeah, I think, you know, since this, this obviously has touched a lot of nerves and gotten a lot of attention. And so I think we're in an era where this is going to become a bigger and bigger problem. And then it won't be long before the best companies to work for are going to be those companies that really allow and force their employees to re- reestablish distinctions between work life and personal life and help their, their employees to do that. And that they will, that will not only make them more effective organizations, they'll be organizations that people really want to work for and they'll attract the best and brightest people. Um, so again, I think we've touched on a couple of things that make that as a leader, you need to really think through what, how to help your employees establish boundaries and, and how that should work for your organization in ways that make sense for your organization and for your business model um, and so that you can take advantage of the flexibility and the unique uh, good aspects of electronic communications without having these negative downsides to electronic communications where they take over people's lives. And after thinking through that, again, I think as we said towards the end, you have to be the one that models that behavior and sets the standard in your organization and that that will be the best way for that to trickle down. That just, like you said, policies and uh, you know proclamations aren't going to do it. It's going to take leaders to actually model the behavior and then 
enforce it in their employees uh, in, in constructive ways to, again, pull that employee who doesn't seem to be able to disconnect aside and talk to them about um, why they're doing it and why it's not in their best interest or an organization's best interests. Mm, excellent. Yes. So thank you so much. I think that that would be really um, a fantastic way forward if, if really more people took your advice and, and perhaps also then looked at themselves and their weekends and, and, and how they interact with the devices and with the emails and, and perhaps even come, you know, to, to, to the realization what feelings this triggers, emotions it triggers in them and then um, really think through what they expect and what the organization expects of the employees. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Bill. I really enjoyed reading your papers and learning about these issues and also these conversations and this conversation. And I, I have really taken away a lot of insight. And so thank you for sharing this so generously on the podcast. Well, thank you, Agnes, for reaching out to me. I really enjoyed our conversation. 